I cringe when I see anyone under the age of 25 doing it, basically an ultra. But that's <laughs> just. It seems to me like it's a, it's 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 something that that is a recipe for injury. Kia ora everyone. That was Sam Manson. I'm Matt Raymond. I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio. Interesting conversations with interesting runners. Kia ora everyone. This is the part of the episode where the adverts usually go. This is the part where for the last few weeks we've ripped into Further Faster and Ultra Running New Zealand, which as you may now know is kind of our shtick. It's a very New Zealand way of doing things. We're not so good at gushing. Both these companies are based in Christchurch, which until last week provided us a fit Aucklanders with some fertile ground for taking the piss out of our hardy southern whanau. Last week, I even said, nothing bad ever happens in Christchurch. But something bad has happened in Christchurch. As many of you know, last Friday, March 15th, a cowardly act of terror was perpetrated at the Alnor and Linwood Mosques in Christchurch. 50 people were murdered as they came together to offer thanks and prayer on Friday. It feels that perhaps everything that has been said can be said, or perhaps that nothing further needs to be said and maybe we should just stick to running, because what more can you say? But we disagree. We offer our aroha to all those affected by this evil act, from the victims and their families, the first responders, emergency services and witnesses who acted to protect those people so cravenly assaulted, the wider Christchurch community, including our brothers and sisters who run on the trails. We are deeply saddened, angry and all the rest of it. However, we are hopeful that Christchurch, its residents and the wider New Zealand community will come together to heal and grow and to show those that would seek to sow division, hate and fear that this just isn't us. We do not roll like this and we're not having it. Instead of a sponsor plug, this week we'd like to suggest that if you wish to contribute, then head on over to the Christchurch Shooting Victims Fund at givealittle.co.nz. Whatever you could spare would really help. Thanks. Radio. Oh, there we go. I'm still pretty terrible at this computer stuff. Are we going? Are we recording? We are recording now. Is this going out to the Dirt Church Radio listeners? We're lurching into episode 34. We made it. We made it. We made it. With heavy hearts, but also hopeful hearts. Hopeful hearts and um, aroha. Massive amounts of aroha. Which for those of you who don't know is... Love. Love. Mm. Hey. Yeah. Speaking of love, yep. some exciting Kiwi trail running legend, queen, ruler supreme, uh, all above news. Take it home. Anna Frost. Anna Frost had a baby. Congratulations. And Braz. And Braz, yeah. So we interviewed Anna on episode 25. Yeah. Uh, she posted a photo on Instagram of her and child and said there are no words for the huge, for the amount of love that is filling me. That's awesome. Yeah. And the wee Pepe's name was Skylar Journey Brazelton, and she was born March 16. So huge, huge congratulations to Anna and Braz, her husband, and who has the best name, I think, in the world. I'm not joking. I yeah. love that Braz. That's yeah. such a great name. It's a great name. That is a great name. And now Skylar. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. That Three's company. Even more Araha. Yep. Hey, um, last week we had Gareth 
on? Yeah, Gareth Morris. He ran, you know, Commonwealth Games, rifleman, elite athlete, and not too shabby runner. And he, I got to listen to it with clean ears because I, I wasn't involved in the conversation that you had. And he put on a masterclass of application. Yeah. And I was thinking, gosh, if you substituted the word running for the word, you know, Queen's Peers or, you know, marksmanship, how incredible when he talked about flow state and yeah. mindfulness and presence. Absolutely. And- I, I learned so much and I've had people say to me, hey, you know, that Gareth had taught them so much mm. in that conversation. So if you haven't caught it, go and have a listen because... He had some wisdom to drop. And what a tombra to his voice. It was like oral, oh, yeah. oral mahogany. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't know. Well, we must run an update on how he's going with the campaign to get the extra L in Langholm. Yeah. <laughs> Langholm. Hey, yeah. Um, Sam Manson. Yeah. A Kiwi legend. Yes. Like, uh, from yeah. Christchurch. From Otoatahi. Yeah. Said that right? You did. And... Amazing trail runner and now transitioned to multi-sport athlete and transitioning back to trail runner. We had a fantastic conversation with him just before we recorded these links, actually. And we're really excited to share it with you because he really does. And I think it's especially important at the moment. And, you know, we've covered what's happened in the part before this part. Um, That Kiwi spirit is strong in him. And, it certainly is. Yeah. And he, um, again, like Gareth, he's got a lot to share, a bit of wisdom. And um, he talks about, um, yeah, he's, so just for those of you who don't know, he's he's come second in Coast to Coast, which is uh, pretty, One of the pretty premium multi sport races yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, so he's no slouch. Um, and he, yeah, he's, he talks to us about the things that training, have given him that that sort of magpie approach to training as well and learning have given him. Um, and actually so having, a, really enjoy it. having a goal and then going on a process to uh, to fulfill that goal. You yeah. know, it's just saying to himself, one day I'm going to win this coast to coast despite not coming from an athletic background, yeah. not actually. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Amazing. Hey, Northburn. Yeah. coming up this weekend. Speaking of amazing. Yeah. So the 100-mile, 100 100K, 100 50K mountain run. In Northburn in Central Otago. Central Otago, yeah. You poor bastards. Go, go, go. Our uh, dirt church, Farno. Yep. Andrew McDowell sitting down. Yep. Tom, Tom Agusta and Gino Andrews. Yep. And all you others, get out there. Get amongst it. Yeah. Have fun. And um, it's been nice knowing you. It really does sound it's it sounds just brutal, doesn't it? Like oh, unrelentingly. The photos are amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. on the surface of the moon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, we got out for a run on Sunday. Yeah, we did. We did. Well, I do have a bone to pick with you though. Okay. I said I wanted to go for a three hour run. Yes. And we came back to the gate. Yes. And it was three hours and forty five seconds. That was actually a perfectly timed that, <laughs> like you have to I said you three have hours. To, I did not say three hours and forty five seconds. You have to hand it to my navigational skills. That was that pretty was that perfect. was perfect. Yeah. That Although was, I mean I must claim some credit for it because I slowed us down a bit. No, come on. Yeah, it would I have been bang on three hours. Um yeah, no, that was pretty good. And it was a good run, it was a good mix of trail and road, and it just felt like the right place to be out in nature. Absolutely, on that Sunday. On. And it sounded yeah. like a, a joke, a, a, a doctor, a preacher, a journalist, and a nurse walk into the forest and yeah. <laughs> come out three hours later. and There we were. Fantastic. Police search and rescue were out there, but they weren't yeah. for us. 
Search yeah. and rescue. Anyway, dog. anyway, drop it, Kieran. And we actually paused there. Stuff you should know. Mm. So take it, Eugene. Well, I was thinking about, um, you know, oh, so just for a bit of background, we have a Dirt Church column that runs in stuff each week. Each week. And I Eugene generally, likes Yeah. Well, it's about the Dirt Church conversation. So it's a, it's a joint uh, operation. But I usually try and base it on something that's come out of the interview that we've had that week and just kind of... Um, wax you know sort of have, have a few words but have a bit of put a bit of thought into that and um last week a couple of weeks ago when we had adaran and finn on he talked about um that thing of not judging a book by its cover on a yep. race start line and how you never can tell and how looks can be deceiving and i wrote something for the dirt church column and for once the dirt church sorry the stuff commentators so the comment section of the stuff news website can be a little bit feral, but they came through for us with some really good, human, yeah, responses, non misogynist or racist, <laughs> yeah. And there was some really, um, like they sort of really, oh, we'll read some, we'll read yeah. some, okay. So, Becca 76, for instance, said, When I started my journey for better health just over a year ago, I took up running, not fast, but I could manage five to eight K without falling over wanting to die. I'd been walking for a while, but a brisk 12k walk was offering me a little resistance or challenge and I needed to up my game. I'd go for a 5k run during my, during my lunch break three times a week, arrive back at the office red-faced and panting slightly. My colleagues would all be like, you just been for a walk. I always felt the need to correct them. No, run. I'd get a look of surprise. Yes, I was slightly obese at the time, but I could still manage a run. Even now, when I'm down 30k, I'm tall, my legs are lean and show the muscles, people still seem surprised when I find out I can run. Dropping 30k is no mean feat. No Damn, Beaker. Yeah. Um, this from Shh. Yeah. Shh. I've been running about 20 months and still feel embarrassed to be seen by anyone I might know. I'm slow and I feel like an elephant. But I did complete 5 kilometers, 6 kilometers, and 10 kilometer events and a half marathon. And I still don't feel like a runner. Which had an immediate response from someone else on there. Michael Az. Michael Az saying, hey, don't feel embarrassed. You're doing really well. Most people that run, sorry, most people that run don't go as far as half marathons. doesn't matter to me if you're fast or slow, and I don't think it should matter to you either. Do your thing and how you do it. You're a champ in my book, so keeping it up for 20 months, my friend. You say that you don't feel like a runner. Tell me, what does a runner feel like? A runner is someone who runs. So whether you feel it or not, you are one. I just thought, you stuff commentators, you've really come through for us in this week when we kind of needed a bit of encouragement and sharing the love and bring out the best of people. Yeah. And I just love that people got out there, got on, got online of all places, supported each other, encouraged each other. And I think that's generally the case with the running community, especially trail running. Yeah. And then maybe that's one thing that running can teach us. Without being sort of too no, schmaltzy and poetic And I think it. we need to own it. You know, like we, <laughs> it's, it's kind of... It's this weird juxtaposition of doing like a slightly, not comedic, but a slightly goofy running podcast. I don't know about you, man, but I'm utterly heartbroken at the moment. And when you do see the light and you do see the, um, you know, the good, the good and people being kind to each other and kind to strangers, it is really, really life. It's affirming. Yeah. 
And carrying on in that theme of affirmation and carrying on in that theme of triumph, uh, greatest run ever, mm. which is the part of the show where we ask you to write into us to tell us about your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It might just be a run around the block or something that really sung to you for some reason. Send it into us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com or via our social media and we're at dirtchurchradio. So this week, it's a long one. It's a banger. But by, by God, it's a good one. Right. I'm going to dive into this. Into it's it. Mick Diverston. Dearest Rigby and Dirt Church Radio. That's kind that you talked about Rigby because mm. he's a dude. You guys say every week I should write in. And I figured <laughs> at first you weren't talking to me. Then after a few inst- episodes and your insistence, I thought maybe I could. Wait, nah. And then last week, you said you were living week to week. Maybe, just maybe, an Aussie could squeeze in a greatest run ever. Uh, we really appreciate that you did. I did hear one from a Queenslander. Nah, he's probably a mate. Heaps of Kiwis on the Goldie. Well, here is my greatest run ever from an avid Melbourne listener. Put it at the bottom and read it if you're scraping the barrel. Bah. Warning, I'm verbose and my writing appears to reflect my Sunday <laughs> my Sunday long runs. They tend to drag on. Feel free to cut off the path and head for the coffee shop when you need to. So, I've not met a centurion before. And I'm guessing he means someone who's run 100k and not a Roman soldier, but we'll we'll see. I've been interviewed on TV and the like, and the questions centre around the same theme. Wow, how did you do it? What an achievement. And the perplexed responses amuse, as if to say, mm, I didn't set out to live this long. Ah, oh, I know what he's talking about, age. But yep. the, co- <laughs> the common inference <laughs> is that to live this long, the centurion has indeed set constant goals and kept moving. We're not running obsessed or anything, <laughs> are we? No. <laughs> what else could it be but someone who's yeah. run? The first thing that struck me upon finishing my first century event was how emotional those around me were they seemed staggered and inspired that I could have completed 100 kilometers upon finishing I was actually partly disappointed that it was the end partly surprised that I felt strong enough to contemplate a lap of the car park if my garment came up short and partly proud that my pacing and eating plan had helped me to the finish line in good shape now that it was done I kind of felt like that was the mythology and mystery of achieving this goal is a little out of whack it seemed prior to race day, an epic challenge. On that night, as I lay in bed too sore to sleep, I reflected and flicked through the epic Facebook feed from my darling wife. The responses and reactions were overwhelming also. But here is the reality. It's not that far. Carl Meltzer is right. Seriously, it ain't. And if you focus on what it is in front, what it is in front of you, almost everybody could do it. It went to plan for me. I prepared well and I worked hard on the trails on and off them. When race day arrived, I decided to turn my watch off. Not completely. Deep down, I'm a Strava nerd and I was loving reviewing stats. <laughs> I toggled the watch face so the only thing showing was the time of day. Good plan. I ignored the kilometre time splits and just concentrated on each moment. Often we talk about running with neutrality, the ability to observe and respond to each and every facet with a calm and neutral response. Each moment tackled on its merits. I remember looking up at the 40km marker and saying to Jody, wow, that's nearly a marathon already. Between then and the 97km mark, I never really contemplated the finish. I just ran and observed the surroundings and the journey, the steps in front, the people beside us sharing the trail, talking and learning about their journeys, soaking in the people, the environment and its challenges, the hail, the rain, the unexpected sunshine when the wind ground to a halt. Ultra runners are a sharing group. Five minutes together on the trails is enough of a shared experience that we can and often do open up about our driving forces and experiences. Some of the best conversations I've had in my life have come on the trails, and this day was no different. 
In between conversations about work challenges, sick aging parents, the joy of the parenting, the bliss of a newly discovered father-to-be, my mind rested quickly back to my mantras I set out. At the start of the day, avoid the pity party and get it done, was the text that smudged on my arms. <laughs> That's excellent. As a reminder to run the day, not let the day run you. But hey, I'm a distracted mind at a whim. The kids had listened to the Matilda musical CD on the trek down, annoyingly, but somewhat poignantly, the words kept bouncing around my narrow skull. What if you haven't got a fairy to fix this? Nobody else is going to put it right for me. Nobody but me is going to change my story. Bugger if I can remember the rest of the words are in the right sequence, but the words kicked around like a bad mash episode, always on repeat. Every now and then I would notice something in the song would pleasantly change to Busby Maru's This Moment's Gonna Pass. Mostly Matilda came and went, and each time I figured, yep, that's interesting. I wanted to achieve a distracted mind to the body, allowing the observation of the changes rather than falling into a catastrophe for each increment in pressure to various parts of the legs and hips from fatigue. The trail and people around offer the opportunity to shift focus. It's not that hard, it's just being aware of when it's needed. The Surf Coast Century provided the stunning moments. My favourite was late in the afternoon when the sun broke through the clouds, splintering through the hill rise just after muddy trails of Distillery Creek. A heavy downpour just moments prior had drenched me through to my skin. My gloves were soaked and cold. My shirt, sweat-drenched, needed a change. Currawogs flitted like angels above the trees, their sonorous trills singing out into the valley. The wind stopped dead on its own heels. Clouds parted and the late afternoon sun shot a sidelong beam across the landscape. The angle of it, with the water still perched precariously on leaves, reverberated with sparkles. The spring wildflowers, in full bloom, it was like I'd arrived in a perfect place at the most perfect moment as the valley showed itself in all its glory. hundred metres before or past, I would have missed it. The beauty of it shook me to my core. I literally had to choke back tears I was sprung from my thoughts of my mum and how much she would have loved it. The random trail thought of unexpectedly slapping you into an emotional state when all you wanted to do was run. It must have been 75 to 80 kilometres in and I should have been in pain thinking about my legs, hips or chafing. I was easily distracted and lost in the landscape. Running into the last checkpoint was like starting the day new. Seeing all the kids together, the attention and seamless efforts of the best family and support crew one could hope for, I headed into the last 14 kilometres quickly. Like a trail runner's GP pit stop, fueled, new shirt, new torch and a few hugs, good to go. I floated up the rise to the lighthouse and gave it a hearty slap. Only a few more obstacles remained. The trail along the coastline, out of Aries Inlet, into the 90 kilometres mark, is a single track that requires attention to foot placement and observation of the trail and tree roots. With its head torch and tired legs, it required heightened attention to the task at hand as we descended into a beach for four kilometres stretch on hard sand. It was like ditching all of the focus. The tide was well out. The wind had calmed to a whim, a whisper. The sky opened, thousands of stars, and the moon lit the sky. The reflection upon the wet sand and the edges of the water dazzled. I turned my torch off and drank it in. I moved quickly and effortless. Well, maybe just in my mind I was moving that fast. Past dozens of other runners, some walking, some transfixed and non-verbal as I passed with words of encouragement. A serene and peaceful experience with no concerns of foot placement on the wide, open and level beach. I could run with my head in the stars. This was what many had warmed was an endless beach stretch and a test of the mind at the end of a long day. For me, it was the most peaceful thing to have experienced on a trail run. I floated down that beach, stargazing and running strong along the perfect sand. 
It was all over too quickly and as I made my way up over the stairs I looked back along the stretch of beach and was breathless at the quiet beauty of it. The long parade of runners' headlights dotted for endless kilometres along the beach, under the backdrop of star-smothered sky, a poetic continuation of the stratosphere, the trail atmosphere, plenty of stars were on the beach. As the centurions on TV remind us, keep setting goals, keep moving. Just five years ago, I was 36 kilograms heavier and battling, trapped and tired, struggling with the booze. Like a dinner set kept for family gatherings, I carry the stains and aura of a dark history. My mistakes haunt me, to the point I often wake cringing at things which happened. None more so than a torrid three-week period where my wife battling her own mental health issues spiralled into a vast blackness. She made several attempts to end on her life. I didn't understand it. I just couldn't grasp it or work out how to help. In that time, during the biggest of tests, I failed. I failed her and I failed my family. Through good luck and support of brilliant professionals, she spent some time in a mental health ward and has slowly worked her way back. It's been a journey. It's taken me a longer time. Five years. I'm a slothful learner. The idea of a greatest run ever for me is encapsulated in the surf coast century because I haven't always been a runner and this run wasn't about me running. It was the moment where I've drawn a line in the sand. I understand now how to observe and respond to the challenges that we get thrown. Over the last five years, I've run heaps. I started running because it was hurt. I wanted to punish and drive myself into the point of pure pain. I did it over and over again. The more it hurt, the more I figured I deserved it. And somewhere along the way, it stopped being about that. And I just loved the post-run high. Still, even though I was out running, getting fit, I was driven by the emotions and the reactions, living on the result and not understanding my why. The Surf Coast Century and the reaching point of this is my greatest run ever is because I finally feel like I understand and can implement what trail running has taught me. To observe, to assess, to respond with purpose, plan, work, turn up. I'm forever grateful Oh, thanks, man. I'm forever grateful for you and your wonderful podcast. It too has been a part of my learning. Finally, I may be growing up. Finally, I now feel equipped to help my loving family. Jeez. Yeah. That was huge. It's about the spaces in between what we do, I think, that makes this community so amazing. Mm. And, uh, I mean, you know, Mick was obviously very, very open and, um, you know, those realizations come, don't they? They do. They come, and they take a long time mm. sometimes. But he's worked his way through them, and so thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Thank you for your courage, and thank you for your support. And this is a heavy episode, isn't it? Yeah, and you also wrote really beautifully. Thank you. Yeah, very beautifully. Mm. So look on to our guest and someone who typifies that Kiwi spirit. He's, you know, what did you do? My my sort of languid, distracted, tangential questions about everything. He's just like, I just set my mind to it and I did it. Yeah. I love that about him. So Sam Manson is a runner, multi-sporter, kayak instructor. He's from Christchurch. He grew up in the Hawke's Bay and he first started running in the mighty Riverhead Forest. He'd done run, one trail race. He first started running in the mighty Riverhead Forest. Went on to win uh, a winter's worth of Xterra races and then set a fastest known time on the Hillary Trail. He's had multiple uh, multi-sport successes, um, several podium finishes at the Coast to Coast, finishing second this year. 
It was an amazing conversation. Uh, it was wonderful to get to talk. It meant more for me talking to someone from Christchurch. And we're absolutely thrilled to bring this to you. So here we go, Sam Manson. Church Radio. Okay, kia ora everyone. We have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Sam Manson all the way from Christchurch in Canterbury. Hey Sam, how you doing? Uh, g'day, yeah, good, thank you. Awesome. Hey look, congrats, before we start, uh, congratulations on your second place at this year's um, Coast to Coast. Cheers, yeah, thanks. Um, it's uh, my sixth go at Coast to Coast, so pretty stoked to um, yeah, do one better again from my last uh, last race. Um, definitely won the top spot, so I have to come back again now. <laughs> There's nothing like doing it in increments. Do it one one place by one place. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've had the I've had a um, I've had a fifth and a fourth and a third, and now a second. So um, yeah, hopefully that's a good sign uh, for next time. The only way is up. But certainly, uh, the coast to coast is a long way from uh, Fenuapai and trail running in the Waitakere's, which is kind of where you started, hey. Yeah, that's true. Um, how do you know that? Because I, you've been stalking me. I have been. I've done an extensive research. No, I I used to run with um, Nick Johnson. He had adopted me as a uh, mother tiger. Sometimes will a piglet. You know, like those YouTube videos when one animal will adopt a baby <laughs> animal. That was like Nick yeah. with me. I was the piglet. Obviously, he was the tiger. Um, and I understand you guys used to pal around together in the in the air force and put everyone to shame with your running. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Nick certainly put me to shame in, in, in the end. It was cool when I was in uh, the base base for Newport, oh, um in um, Auckland, and yeah, that's where I kind of started my trail running in the in the Riverhead Forest and Waitakere, um, um, yeah, bush. I started it off with the um, Xterra Trail Run series. Um, the the guys in the Air Force got me into it, basically. And this is before Nick uh, was actually at this base. He was previously at a different base. And he got right into it. And then eventually Nick turned up to our base. And so we tried to, you know, naturally try and get him to go off the road onto the trails. And initially it was actually working quite well in my favour because I could beat him on the technical stuff, but not on the flats, of course. Eventually he figured out how to do the technical and then I lost my chances. It was all over Rover. Yeah. And, and lot, lots of us feel that way, don't worry. Yeah. Anyone, anyone else who's yeah. running with Nick feels that way. So. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a saying in terms of anyone who uses Strava in Riverhead, um, second is the new first. In Riverhead, oh, yeah. Even though he's gone, he's just still got all the crowns. So. Yeah, that's right, because he's, he's, he's left um, uh, Auckland back down to fielding. Yeah, so he's got all the... <laughs> you just watch him go up. He just he's up there at all, all sorts of hours of the day, eh? He is and, uh, yeah. clocking up cases in there. Um, yeah. So was your? I mean, obviously, um, to be in the air force, you've got to be reasonably fit. But was your introduction to running sort of when you were in the air force? That was the first time you'd you'd run properly. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. So in, in high school, because naturally I joined the air force straight out of high school, and in my high school years, I didn't really do that much sport, um, let alone running. Like I, I like to be fit. It was always sort of something I worked towards was to be healthy. Uh, and I probably ran twice a week, maybe three times a week, just no more than sort of seven, 10K. 
Uh, and then my first exposure to a, to any sort of running race was when my dad convinced me to enter the Kaweka Challenge. Uh, this is in, on the, in the Kaweka range. Uh, I, I lived in Hawke's Bay in high school. And that was a 28-kilometre mountain run with nearly 3,000 metres climb, I think. And I did it off a month's training. And, you know, <laughs> I think that was uh, my first sort of sign that – I dug pretty deep, and I ended up fifth, but it was hours behind first place. And it was kind of, even though it was ridiculously hard and I was in cramp nonstop for about five hours afterwards, it was something that sort of lit up a bit of a fire and thought I want to do a bit more of this. And getting into the year force the following year. Um, so were you still at school when you did that? When I did the when I did the Kawaki challenge, yeah, yeah, I was still in school. Yeah, it was oh. like a February of my last year of school, and but not the full thing, just the just the twenty eight k, um, which is still decent. But uh, the Air Force, yeah, it was cool. Like you do the fitness testing, and there was three of us that would push each other. Um, my mates Liam and Kurt, who who were really good runners, also, and um, they they would always beat me, and so it was quite an incentive to try and beat them. And I worked quite hard, and, and no matter how much I trained, I could never seem to quite beat them. <laughs> I'll get close, but never that much. And I sort of built some competitivity from there, and and that was actually when I was I was living in Blenheim at that time, and and sort of began that sort of style of running, um, or trail running in the Wither Hills. So the Wither Hills is just the the ones that surround Blenheim, basically. And it was pretty cool there, and before I moved to Auckland and then got stuck into uh, exterior trail run series, basically. And that led you also, I mean, was that sort of, you had a Hillary FKT for a long while there, hey? Yeah. So that, um, I, I moved to Auckland in 2011 uh, for, for, for the Air Force. But yeah, I did, did the exterior trail run series that year. Loved it. Pushed real hard. I think, I'm, you know, I, I think I won the junior category. But, you know, I'm still only finishing sort of 10th um, tenth place overall in each in each race. But it, by doing the races, it made me stronger, I think, because I pushed – it was kind of my intervals because I didn't know what intervals were at the time and <laughs> that was my speed work. And the following year, I just really wanted to, you know, just for some reason really motivated and really wanted to win these races and trained a bit harder. Again, just training myself and just going out for lots of runs and – managed to win, uh, I think, a few of the super longs. But I also did the dual, um, the dual marathon on yep. Rangatoto in Motutapu Island, and somehow I managed to win that race. Again, I'm um, just – I'm not sure what went well in my training program that I wrote myself, but it just worked out. And and uh, then after the dual, not long after that, I did the T42 and – that's when I not long after that I'd that was later in the year and then not long after that um, I'd heard obviously from Sean about the Hillary Trail and everyone was kind of going for it at the time and I was thought well I'm quite fit from these last few trail marathons um, I might just try and go for the Hillary Trail and see what I can do and as a training run I went to Riverhead and I started my watch and I, I told myself I wasn't allowed to stop running until my watch said six hours. <laughs> that was basically my only ultra trail. I have no idea how far I ran. I didn't have a, I, I don't think I had a GPS watch at the time. 
but I ran for six hours, <laughs> whether it was shuffling or or running. Um, and yeah, so uh, August 2012, I think. Yeah, 2012. I yeah ran the hilly trail. Got a friend to drop me off at 6 a.m. at Arataki and had no idea how long it would take. But I did the I did the whole solo unsupported, and so I had to make sure I carried enough gear. Um, I was always been responsible, so I carried more than enough gear in terms of extra clothing and food and and water. Uh, I even took a PLB, um, but a, one of the old school heavy ones. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and filled up at Farapu for water and and Piha and Bethel's for water. So otherwise, yeah, carried my own stuff. And um, what time did you do that in? It was it was nine hours and eight I think eight minutes or so, but I <laughs> so I had no idea what time I'll do. I got to halfway through the um, what do you call it the Tahinga walkway, and looked at my watch and thought I might be able to do this in less than nine hours. And so I started going for it, even though I was smashed. But and then I just managed to get lost for some reason. There was. I don't know if it's still there. I haven't run it in ages, but there was a few trails that go off to the coast for a lookout. Oh, oh yeah, 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 the start yeah. at the business end. I yeah. went out to those thinking that was the main trail, and ah. I get to the end of it and start, you know, bashing around the bushes trying to figure out where the trail went. Um, meanwhile, obviously, it, it actually turned off, you know, 100 meters ago. So it took me over 15 minutes to figure that out. <laughs> that I, just, I was just at a lookout and. Yeah, um, and then you know pushed hard. Obviously, it was miserable going up those steps and um, pushed it to the end. It was a while ago. I can't remember. All I remember was pretty miserable the last few cases. Yeah, right. That's an that's an insanely good time for you know close to eighty kilometers and yeah. And, and so that was your first ultra. Yeah, yeah. It oh, was. you don't you don't tackle them you know tackle the easy ones early, do you? Wow. Yeah, mate. <laughs> well, I don't. Um, I haven't really done an ultra since then. Uh, I can't really think of one other than um, maybe something slightly over, like forty-five k or something like that. But otherwise, uh, yeah, that's probably the one and only proper ultra I've done. And that was, was, by, and that was by yourself. By myself, yeah, it was a great old time. So how did you how did you transition? And I understand, you know, like it's that's a. a a precocious talent there and, and and it sounds like your approach to things was kind of quite raw and unmoderated how did you transition to um you know multi-sport racing with its mix of you know kayaking cycling and trail running uh well so i say i didn't do much sport in high school but i did do the one sport i did do you know which was only every occasional weekend was whitewater kayaking Right, because there's only so much of that you can do. You got to drive to the rivers and stuff like that. Um, and so, what would a kayaking sort of built me a bit of an experience with being in, in the water and well, using the boat, using the paddle, uh, and reading the rapids. And so that gave me a bit of a head start with kayaking in the first place. And I always really enjoyed whitewater kayaking. Um, I've just never that passion's really nearly never gone away. Um, when I left high school, I, I can't really explain why. Um, I haven't. I can't really remember the reason, but I was always intending on wanting to do coast to coast. Right. And uh, I wasn't 
just intending to do it. I was intending to try and win it. And again, I can't really explain why, especially with sort of not much sport experience. I never did well at athletics, like cross country. I was always mid field and I would give a hundred percent. So there was nothing really to prove that I could win it other than that I wanted to win it. Do you come from a, sorry, do you come from a multi-sporting background? No, mother or father? No, not even, not even a little bit. Um, There was a a race in my, I grew up in a town called Wairau, uh, which is Northern Hawke's Bay. And they used to have a race called the Lake to Lighthouse. Right. And this is where, this is the only place I've really done uh, over marathon distance, which is the the Great Lake Waikatamaiana walk. Yep. And when I was training, um, I would run around the lake. So there's 46 kilometres. And it's a, it's a ruthless 46 kilometres too with the, with the uh, pedicure range at the at the end, depending on what you knew um, started. But generally you start it uh, and you finish at the pedicure range. But um there was a it's called the lake to lighthouse multi-sport race which started up at lake wakatamana and you went around the lake basically kayaking as well and mountain biking over the farmland before making your way back to the coast in the town of wairau and being the place where i grew up uh in my high school years it started when i was probably 16 and i would go and watch it and see people like richard usher or um, george christensen um marcel hagner and then even Sam Clark was racing pretty hard then, uh, and be pretty admired by how fast they were going. And I'm just they they, they paddled past my house because we had a house by the river, with the last sort of 10k to go in the race. And I remember studying for my NCA exams as a I can't remember 17, 16 year old, and going down to the river and watching them and being like, Shit, I want to beat these guys. <laughs> and that was really it. Um, I'm not really sure why I thought I could, but it's really stuck with me and I never really let it go. So watching these guys paddle past and that, was that what you think inspired you to dream of coast to coast or was that, was, or did that exist before that, that dream? Uh, now you're making me think a bit hard about it. So it, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Um, seeing, seeing uh, them paddle past and just being, you know, admiring just their strength and their endurance and um, thinking, you know, these guys are the pinnacle of, uh, you know, uh, an adventurer, or you know, being the strongest of, of of everyone. If you put everyone in the country together, you know, these are the these are the guys who can who can move the fastest across you know all terrain. And it was quite you know inspiring to to think you know maybe I could try and aim towards that. Yeah, and it's I mean it's, it's those sorts of dreams that um, I mean plenty of people have them but you i mean you've followed through it's you know what what's what about you has made you do that yeah i think it, it it's small things that just seem to have stuck like it doesn't take much i remember a mate telling a mate about it not too long afterwards and this is sort of my only really memory of what stuck with me is that you know i told him i was going to try and win the race and he sort of just laughed as though um, <laughs> you know, you, you won't be able to do that, which is fair enough. <laughs> I go and probably have laughed at the same um, um, thing being said to me from a 16-year-old um, who had zero background in sport uh, at the time. But 
that kind of stuck with me and not that I got angry with him at all. It was just kind of, I'm pretty sure I can. And I was really convinced at the time that if I trained from that, that day for a whole year, all I had to do was just train harder than the guys who are currently winning the race and I'll be able to beat them. And this is my <laughs> philosophy. This is my philosophy. And it was, I was a hundred percent certain on this philosophy with absolute no, no sports science um, knowledge apart from, I guess, um, year 13 PE <laughs> that this would work. And I stuck at it for, you know, two, three years. You know, I, I started with the trail running because, you know, I couldn't afford to buy uh, a flash kayak or, a, or a, uh, a proper road bike for a while. So I thought I'll just get stuck into the running um, to begin with, and that would be a good way to start. And and what I mean, I guess that's a fairly intuitive approach to training, actually. And, and actually, sorry to use too many actuallys, but you've nailed it on the head. All, all all you have to do, and the all is in the all, is train harder than the other person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it certainly it, it it could be true, but I think. There is a lot more, obviously, to it. So. Absolutely, that's in the <laughs> that's in the all, isn't it? How has your and how has your approach to training changed over the years? I oh, mean, I, I understand yeah. training for a multi sport event. It must be, I mean, it's certainly lots of facets to that. Yeah, yeah, massively. Yeah, well, probably for a good three years there before uh, I was, you know, I was writing, I was getting on Microsoft Word. I'd put a table up. Monday, Tuesday to, to, to Sunday, and I would put this, that's across the col- um, the columns, and the rows would be each sport, you know, uh, kayaking, biking, and running, and I'd just put one hour of this on this day, and one hour of that, and two hours on that on that day, and that would be my training for the week. And I'd, my goal was simply to make every week different, uh, rather than, with a, a little bit of specificity, for sure, but it, certainly initially, it was completely random. Um, after a while, I, I mean, I knew there was a long run in that race that I needed to do some long distance running, and so uh, yeah, I knew about specificity. And then uh, after a few years, I got to meet a guy um, which you might know well know the name of Nick Gill. Yeah. So Nick Gill is the strength and conditioning coach for the All Blacks. That's right. Yep. And. Actually, the the physio I I was using at the Air Force base, her neighbour was really good friends with him, and so they'd obviously talked about me from the trail running events and and knew that I was trying to get into Maori sport and introduced me to him and at a barbecue and he helped me out figuring out the whole structure side of training, you know, <laughs> intensity. Uh, you know, changing that around into having just one intensity in all sessions to having easy sessions and hard sessions. And and that was my first ever exposure really to changing the intensity up. Were you like, were you like who knew? Yeah, who, you knew? Have, who, who knew you could do that? And so yeah. how does it, I mean, like, are you looking for a mix of across the whole period of training? And I think this is, you know, not to, well, I, love to nerd out about this are you looking for an a mix of intensities across the whole period of training or do you have certain periods where you will uh, have a, a strength focus Cycles. in all your events yeah. or periodization or 
Yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. So you're kind of like a, a base building phase. I mean, at the time, it was certainly, yeah, we talked about sort of a, uh, we called them sort of Trevor Lights training. I, I do things differently now. I have a different, I have a, a proper coach and uh, things are done a little bit differently. But at the time, we called them the, the green, yellow and reds. Uh, and uh, so the race was in February, is in February and sort of October, September, I'm doing just yellow and greens and basically no no reds and but, but that's been the intensity so green is obviously easy medium uh, yellow is sort of uh, me you know medium intensity and red would be as hard as I can go and the green and the yellow sessions would be October September and then I start throwing a few reds in uh, as I get into sort of December November December and definitely January. And all, all we all I tried to aim for was to have one of each colour of each ball week, and that was really it. Naturally, the the green sessions were uh, long; uh, they'll be you know over two hours. So yeah, one of each colour of each sport um, per week, and that's how I wrote my training program. And that that year I did coast to coast. I got fourth as opposed to the previous year where I got um, – was my first race and I had got a ninth off just training at uh, the same intensity the whole time. Wow. So that – that um, and, and you put that down to – I mean, obviously the experience would have been helpful as well, but you put it down to that change and tra- some more focused training. Oh, totally, yeah. Well, I was in um, – what was my time? can't remember how my time difference was, but it was significantly faster and – and yeah, again, experience helps. Uh, I totally blew up at the end of the race. <laughs> of course, I was only I think twenty two, um, and I it's, a, it's an endurance sport. It's a very long distance, and uh, I think you do need to be a lot older to have that back end endurance after you know eight nine hours for sure. Yeah. But um I, th- I think yeah the structuring this, the training was is super important and it, it made uh, me a lot healthier as well yeah in fact if anything i put in more rest days as well to that training that year hang on so you were 22 the when you came ninth at the coast to coast uh i think i was no no i think i was 21 how old were you when you ran the hillary trail uh, I, guess, oh, I guess i was 20 yeah wow wow that's just yeah. falling over. Yeah, you make me sick, Sam. Um, <laughs> I, no. and I, and, and I did it in those um, those Innovate Two One Twos as well. Yeah, which sure. I, I could never do again. Like, oh, I could, there's no way I can wear a shoe that minimal for an ultra ever from from here forth. Like, <laughs> I can't yeah. believe I did that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing though, and, and that's the beauty of it, and the, and the wonder of it is that you know you you are 20 years old and. Just yeah, you're bulletproof when you're 20, aren't you? You're bulletproof, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I also, I mean, I love that um, you do seem to have that kind of just, I'm going to do it, so I'm going to do it attitude. But also, you're not just kind of doing it blindly. You're actually, you seem a bit like a magpie picking up bits and pieces of, of training advice and, um, and, and, and finding ways to apply it. Yeah, yeah, I I probably agree with that. I I love the information that I can get, especially when it's off a good resource. You know, well, I mean, over the years, I didn't have anything 
better than what I what I knew. So I was picking everything up, and and everyone has advice, and it's yeah. cool, you know, trail running sport and multi sport as well. Definitely, is that everyone's really keen to sort of help you out, especially when they see you, you're doing okay or that you're putting a bit of effort in, and you know, everyone at, at events, you know, before and after, are, are real keen to come over and and chat and and talk about you know, what you could do better. I remember my very first trail run event and people were straight stuck in and said, look, pointed at my ASIC running shoes and said, oh, you need to get rid of those. They're too heavy. And, <laughs> hmm. that. and um, you know, everyone's always um, quite helpful. And, you know, obviously a lot of it um, I've had to scrap off is, is stuff that doesn't work for me. Yeah. Because you find out certainly yeah. that uh, the advice you get even from online, um, everyone's so different and I'm different again. And I found, I've, I've found out what works for me in terms of training, in terms of nutrition. And it's almost quite different to what is, uh, not advertised, but you know, written up or is led to believe by a, a lot of people. Yeah. That's right. They call it the good idea theory. Hey, so you've yeah. got your way of working and then someone will come along with a good idea and impart some wisdom and it, 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 sometimes it works but sometimes it really doesn't do you think your background in engineering i mean you're an aeronautical engineer do you think that lends itself to multi-sport i mean having to be that organized uh they certainly ran down the throat uh, uh what they called um uh well is the uniformity and it was military style as well. So they have to make sure in the first few three months of your initial training, and when you join the military, that they love this high standards. The the, uh, yeah, the uniformity of of everything was was the pretty key word you heard a lot of. Um, obviously, tidiness and yeah, being particular about a lot of things. Um, I, I, Yes, I was, I'll quickly say I wasn't an engineer. I was a technician. So oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, no, it's just very, very um, different in that area. Uh, um, those guys uh, do some big maths, and I'm no good at the big maths. <laughs> so I just want to clarify that. Okay. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, you should have just taken the promotion and gone with it. I know, but I have some friends that are listening. And they're <laughs> Of course, but yeah, aircraft maintenance as a job, um, yeah, really particular. You want to make sure you got everything uh, correct. Yeah. So I, I guess that does transfer for over, but at the same time, uh, I think I think some of it was natural as well. Mm. Just that, that wanting to do better and finding whatever I could to to do better with 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 the information that I had and, and the yeah. resources that I had available to me. I just, I love, I just, sorry, I'm going back a little bit here, but I'm just sort of loving the idea of you being at that barbecue with Nick Gill and pulling out your Microsoft, Microsoft uh, Word table and, and showing him what you're up to. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're the All Blacks coach, but hey, look what I've made. Look what I've made. Well, I don't know if we, um, it wasn't until a couple of months later that I ended up seeing him again and right. I went to the Hilton I think it's the Hilton in the middle of the city because he'd come up again for I don't think he he doesn't live in Auckland he I think he's based out of Tauranga and he had come up for one of the games with the boys right. and um, they were staying at the Hilton and I, he said come on over to the lobby and, and we'll have a chat so I remember coming into the lobby and and all the all-backs were around it was pretty cool and we just sat in the lobby for a while and I had my 1B5 
book out. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> we were just scrapping up some ideas. Brilliant. It was it, it was brilliant. I haven't really talked much to Nick, Nick in, a, in a long time. Um, it was it was kind of a short term thing. Probably lasted about a year. Yeah. And obviously that, that man must be incredibly busy. Hmm. So I was lucky to have the time with him that I did. Yeah. And so you 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 picked up um, well you got a professional coach um, Cameron Duno. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Cam Duno. He um, he. So what's he, what's his approach? He uh, well, he's done coast to coast a few times. Uh, he's done a lot of triathlons himself. He's even been to to Kona, uh, and then of course he's done a lot of coaching in the past. He was working with New Zealand sort of uh, junior triathletes for a while, and um, he's done more, more than enough, I guess, research on his behalf for coaching methods as well as for endurance because he's done the, the endurance such as Ironman. And, and coast to coast, his his approach, well, was was very different to the way I did things. And I remember emailing him after being referred to him in 2015 in October, and I was going to do the race again, which was February 2016. Uh, no, it must have been earlier than that. It must have been 2014 that I emailed him the first time. Anyway, so 2014, I emailed him in October. I say. This is all about me. I really want to win this race. Uh, can you coach me? And he comes back and he says, "Yep, this is the deal." And you know, I and I basically replied again, just reiterating, you know, write me a program that'll make you win the race. <laughs> and that's that's the way I was thinking at the time. I didn't realise. I still hadn't figured out at this stage that um, listening to the body and all that was so important. And you know, you can't just. I, I thought, I truly thought that there was a program that could be written and I just had to follow that program and I'll win the race and that this man could do it for me. <laughs> what was your, and what was your biggest learning through that? Was that um, to not follow the program if I couldn't, such, right. as, you know, such as something simple like being tired. Like the perfect program is one where you adapt not 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 just do what's written down on the piece of paper or or the application which was training peaks but yes so i followed everything to a t you know almost to the minute you know if you see one hour i did exactly one hour if you did had to be at this zone of heart rate i did it at that zone of heart rate but <laughs> it ended up being far too much right uh, i couldn't handle that that training load yeah and i if i more often ended up having average training sessions than than good training sessions and, and being slower than I would have would have liked. It worked out in, in in the end I had an okay race, but you know, I it was just I, I was tired a lot and and I didn't really communicate with my coach to tell him that I was tired because I didn't want to sound like I was being a wuss. Right. And yeah, you, you've definitely, definitely learned from that, that I basically, you know, I won't do a session if I can't do it well, basically. Okay. So that's about listening to your body and being, I guess, a bit more intuitive. And I again, I guess in a multi-sport race, something like Coast to Coast, I, I know you did it this year in, what was it, 11.20? Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of time to adapt to, or, or to listen to your body or for things to go wrong pretty much, hey? 
Yeah, man. Um, exactly. And so doing lots of races, uh, you know, you learn so much of it. I've done a lot of adventure racing, uh, stage adventure racing, I should say, in China. And you race in a team there with four other people and uh, you learn off each other. You have to work together and you feel even more pressure to be feeling good because you want to be good for the team, not just for yourself. And there as well, you learn a bit more about pacing and nutrition because the the intensity is so high. So you you almost have to just be really on top of nutrition, or you're going to blow. And so I've always been thinking when I when I'm out racing, I'm always thinking about nutrition. And it's not too often I'll have a lapse in nutrition. And if I do, usually all I do is have a gel, and I'll be and I know that I'll be right within ten minutes. And I, you know, I, if I get that, I know the feeling that I'm going to have if I haven't had enough sugar or, or whatever it is. And I just, I have the whatever I need, whether it's more salt or whatever. And I look at my watch and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to wait for that number to change to, you know, 10, 10 times and I should be right. And the countdown goes on. So you, you, you've got it to the point where you can actually work out from how, when you ingest something to when you'll start to feel better. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, so long if, if if I've made a mistake, yeah. But you know, not every time. Like I got it kind of wrong in coach this year, unfortunately. Like I have a pretty simple plan, and it it works really well. It's just that it's for some reason some sports it's not quite as accurate, and it's really hard to replicate the the race and training, especially with the sort of the 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 day, you know, the temperature of the day, how hard you've been going for. Um, and I thought I'd had too much solids in the paddle stage, so I stopped eating them, and uh, it turned out I hadn't eaten enough, so that was a bit of a mess. What are you consuming on a race like the Coast to Coast? I mean, are you eating a mix of real food, or is it mainly kind of sports nutrition that you're taking on board? Yeah, I think uh, at the sort of intensity or – I mean, I'm sure everyone's going at a pretty decent intensity, just at a different speeds. But the I try to keep it really simple, and I've had so much advice from people over the years to say, you know, you got to try this. You know, have a croissant with cheese in it, or have like jam in it, and you know, you know like you got to smash a smoothie with um, peaches and. Or you know, roast potatoes, and you, so you try all this stuff, and you know, creamed rice, and like, oh, all right, I'll try that. And man, in the end, it's just <laughs> it's it's too many things, and so I've just nailed it down to just whatever I can get in the package, basically. Oh, I've even done hot pies. Yeah, did the old um, Sheffield <laughs> pie, um, getting into the kayak, and the Sheffield pie getting out of the kayak, and actually, it worked really well in training. It was delicious. But yeah, right. it didn't work well on the race day, <laughs> so that was great. You'd have that sort of meat coating in your mouth, eh, in the transition, and and I just think how terrible it'd be with the croissant and the cheese and the flaky pastries getting wet. You're in the kayak, your hands are sweaty. You oh know. yeah, you've got, you, and you've got to remember times. to blow on the pie. <laughs> yeah, the pie. Well, they never turned up hot. I was really disappointed. <laughs> like the support crew let me down on that aspect. It was always cold. <laughs> That's awful. I'm 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 thinking that you might have had the same experience with the pies I had with uh, Mountain Dew one year in um, Tarawera, which didn't go down very well, but anyway. Oh, was it too too warm, was it? Oh, I just, it was, I don't know, it didn't agree with me and most of it ended up on the trail. 
Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, that's yeah. what happens when he gets rejected. Yeah. So tell us about the run during Coast to Coast because I've heard from several people that that trail run in itself is one of the more sort of grander and, to use an oft-used word, epic trail runs in in New Zealand. What's it What's it like? It's it's epic. So <laughs> there are there are trails on it. Uh, the the majority of them are on the uh, well, it's actually the south side, but we'll call it the east side of the Alps, um, on the the Minga the Minga River side. But there are trails on the the north side of the of the Alps uh, where you start on. However, the the sort of they've been built there for I think for mostly for flood reasons or for shortcuts just by dock. And over the years, they've been they've been worn in, but they're not compulsory. Um, in general, you're staying in the riverbed, and yeah, you could cut the corner this this particular corner off by going in the trail, or you could stay in the riverbed. And there's quite a few occasions where you can, you know, not go on the trail and actually save time, or do go on the trail and and save time. And it, it depends entirely on how some of the recent floods have gone through there because they they do bring down extra boulders and extra rocks with the slips and sometimes they're really loose, sometimes it can be fine sand and actually the fine sand is more enjoyable to run on, uh, for me at least, uh, than the than the big loose uh, rocks that I'm talking the football size rocks, not the not the massive boulders, yeah. of course. Uh yeah, and this makes it really exciting. So you just pick your lines, basically. Uh, in the end, it works out just to be about being nice, nice straight lines, really. Just just heading forward as fast as you can up the up the valley. Uh, I remember the the first year I did the race. So maybe uh, I think it was uh, three months before the race is when I did my first trip up there just to check it out. And I went with a friend who knew the way, or so so he said and learnt, learnt a few of the lines and then didn't do the, the course again until race day. And I remember running up there knowing that maybe this is my chance to get, you know, ahead in the field because running's my strength and ending up uh, at a gorgy part on the wrong side of the river. And <laughs> I'd, I'd been bluffed out and I saw a guy, I think it was Luke Vaughan at the time, on the outside of the river running on this beautiful trail <laughs> and between me and him, well, it's a gorgy part. So it was a deep pool of water and swimming across the river, <laughs> the river to get back to the trail. And, uh, I didn't have any of my gear in a dry bag. So my pack got rather heavy after that. Um, oh, so oh. it definitely pays to, to know your way up there and making, making a bit of effort to check it out. Uh, again, it can be – you run up a riverbed, so if there's any rain, um, you're doing 20-plus crossings. You you want to be uh, going when it hasn't been raining for a while and uh, you're very confident at crossing rivers, so that's why you'd, you'd go with um, some mates. Uh, obviously, uh, encourage you to sort of walk together across the river, which is the right thing to do, but most of the time we're, we're just smashing across there as fast as we can, uh, even on a training day. I'm not thinking too much about it. It's, it's, it's usually below the below the waist, but there are definitely some sections above the waist. And if there has been some rain, then yeah, there's a lot of sections above the waist. Wow! Yeah. Just to to um for the for the numbers nerds out there, just how how long does it take you? What's your fastest run, and and what sort of elevation 
is that particular course? The the high point for the course is a thousand meters, the goat pass saddle. Yeah. And but you're starting crikey, where are we starting? We're starting about three hundred meters, I think. Right. Above sea level, and you finish at about six hundred meters above sea level. I'm just guessing here, but it's around about like that. So I think in the end, you only actually do a total of about a thousand elevation gain, uh, uh, elevation ascent. Yeah. Total. It's not that much climb. But it's extremely technical. It's very yeah. It's just really really technical. Uh, it's thirty k's. Some places say thirty three, but I'm pretty sure it's just thirty k's. That's what my GPS has been every time, and that's from that that's from uh, Aikens. Sorry. Yeah, Aiken's Corner uh, before the footbridge. That's three kilometres of, of, of farm track before the footbridge where the normal way to start it is. And the Otara footbridge is where you'd normally start the goat pass track. Uh, and then from there, you're going yeah, up the Deception River and uh, to, to Klondike Corner, which is, yeah, all, all, all riverbed. Apart from the Minga side, where you do have to go around the Minga Bluff, so you go quite high up on what's called Dudley's Dudley's Knob. And uh, my my fastest time in the race was this year, and I did three oh four. I'd love to go under three hours, but I'm just not quite sure how to do that yet. <laughs> it's, it's really fast. I mean, if you're uh, running three, yeah, if you're running three hours and four minutes for thirty k. Like that, I mean, it must be hellish. It must be yeah. a very difficult run. Yeah, I think um, Braden Curry has managed to do it in sort of two forty-five, two forty-six. He's he, he's a um, pretty good mountain runner, and he was doing the full race, which is pretty incredible. Knowing that you can do that speed and and still go on to to win the race and not you know end up. In a, in a hospital from fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He, uh, and I think I looked at the, this is something like five minute 30 pace, I think. Five minute 30 Ks. Oh, yeah. Five minute 30 Ks. Wow. Which sounds really innocuous uh, until you factor in the train and basically that you're running through water and over, you know, football sized boulders. But so, where do, what's next for you? I mean, obviously, are, are you on the, you're, you're an elite athlete now, or have been for some time, but you know, comfortably say you're an elite multi-sporter. What does the future hold? Yeah, it's pretty cool to be able to just, you know, I, I still feel a bit shy saying that because, um, but I guess now I've been able to get second at Coast, I, I feel a little bit more comfortable. Maybe I am an elite multi-sporter. Um, from from here, I, I still want to develop myself and get get faster and, you know, people will look at my running technique, and you know, of all of all levels, you know, professionals as well as friends, <laughs> and say that my running technique is awful, and that I should get some coaching on my running technique. But it, it works for me. I, I have been working really hard on my running technique, and it just seems when I'm fatigued, it just looks awful. When I'm not fatigued, I swear it does look fine. It doesn't matter. I guess. I guess it doesn't matter what it looks like, and the people might be criticising you, but they're going to be criticising you from behind, pretty much, eh? Hey? Because you're going to be faster than that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Well, the, I guess the theory from their end is that, uh, and, and, and I guess it, it makes sense, is, is to try and be more efficient. So trying to save time and energy by, by being more efficient, and that was the idea behind it. But, you know, maybe I just need to just get stronger, and, and that'll be fine. I can get away with um, average technique. <laughs> yeah. So have you got any more races lined up for the year, or what are you yeah. looking at? Oh, I'm pretty excited to get back in the trail running scene for a bit. Uh, I'm going to do the Route Burn Classic next month. Brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah, so I haven't done a, a proper trail run. Oh, no, I did the Crazy Capers last year, but that was 28. Yeah, no, that kind of counts. Crazy Capers, which is an Auden Bradley Park in the Port Hills here in Christchurch. Right. But otherwise, yeah, uh, it'd be awesome to do the Route Burn Classic. I've, I've run the Route Burn before with some friends uh, whilst uh, heavily hungover, but um, it'd be nice to do it in a sort of a racing format. Um yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, hopefully, some some good athletes um, turn up as well, and I can see where I'm at with, with actually, the current scene. It, yeah, yeah, because I mean that's the thing. 2011 was a long time ago, um, yeah. but it's 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 changed now. Everyone wears bottles instead of bladders, you know. <laughs> they do, eh? Yeah, just the ultras buy packs, eh? Pumping out the bottles and. <laughs> Yeah, um, maybe I'll do that too, just to make sure I look the part. And that's right. <laughs> you should go fully retro and and um, you know go for your big carry your big EPIRB and um, yeah. you know all that big kit that you carried yeah, on the trail. Wait for you that time, so just go for it. <laughs> I went retro at the Crazy Cappers Trail Run last year, and I went for the um, rugby stubbies and this real old cotton singlet that I had that looked oh. quite torn. I should get you a photo of it, and I've still got yeah. I've got a dirty mo as well, still as well. Oh, do it. Right. Yeah, we need that photo. We need that photo. <laughs> hey, what, what, one thing I was uh, going to ask you, and you've kind of I I think we've 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 derailed ourselves, so I've kind of forgotten. But it was a good question. Oh, it was such a good question. Damn it, Eugene. Oh, I was just going to say oh, I did have a confession to make that. Um, so, you, so you had made that commitment to coast to coast as a, as a youngster, and and you followed through. And obviously, I'm just completely useless because I too had sort of visions early on of as a young runner of oh, I'd love to go and do coast to coast, and yeah, yeah, it'd be great. But it was shattered when I was, I think I was 21, and I was working for the New Zealand Herald at the time, and I got sent down to cover coast to coast, and got a chance to go up on the on the course up on Goat Pass saw the run, realised that within about five metres of getting on that, I would have broken both my legs and went, nah. And just so just left my dreams there. So oh, good on you no. for sticking to yours. Yeah, well, I didn't know. I didn't actually know what the coast to coast entailed when I, when I wanted to win it. When I, um, when I joined the Air Force and started earning some money, I was like, I remember going after about five months of earning money. I went to the bike shop and went to go buy a bike, and I brought a mountain bike. And I said to the guy at the counter, "I said, uh, I want to do the coast to coast." Um, quite proudly, when I brought the bike yeah. off him, <laughs> no idea that there wasn't actually a mountain bike stage in the race. <laughs> So that's there you go. Like I had books. I had no idea that there were big massive rocks. I, I guess that I did know that, but not to that extent. Yeah, yeah. What I was going to ask you is, it's really refreshing to speak to a very accomplished elite athlete who runs trails and is looking forward to running trails and isn't training for an ultramarathon. Yeah. What oh. do you think? I mean, like, what are your views on the current sort of 
seen or the we kind of in this sort of post-marathon ultra distance world what's your take on that oh it's cool it's it's see the see um obviously it's it's gotten quite popular um people are inspired by people going this distance and and doing so well at it and covering some incredible um terrain like you see the overseas races like the hard rock and or wherever else even new zealand races and People get really inspired by it, by the fact that it's just so hard, and then now there's just so many people entering them. Uh, I I personally um, think it's just like uh, proper expedition adventure racing ultras are for older people, and so um, I cringe when I see anyone under the age of 25 doing it, basically an ultra. But um, that's just—it seems to me like it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's something that that is a recipe for injury, and and that uh, I, I I really want to get into the ultras again, but I'm probably going to wait another few few more years. Same with the expedition adventure racing. I need a I need at least another four years or maybe before I go back to an expedition race. You're talking to two men in their forties here, so yeah. be careful. <laughs> No, I was thinking he's bang on actually. So. Yeah. yeah. What do you think it is about age that lends itself to longer distances? Oh, it's that it's that maturity. Yeah, hey? I guess we're human beings, and um, like was, I think uh, the twenties, tw- you're still in a sort of a developing age. You're, you're, you're super, you know, you're really strong, and that's awesome. But uh, as far as maturity, not just mentally maturity, but also physically. Uh, I think again, like so, sort of as humans, I think you know we were kind of designed to be a bit more robust and and able to de- look after ourselves a lot more at that sort of age. If you know what I'm trying to say, I can't really find the right words for it. But if we survived that long, yeah, if, okay, <laughs> if we survived that long, yeah, yeah. But it's just you know the kind of the rounding off and and you're able to you know go for a lot longer. Uh, yeah. it, it seems to it seems to make sense in my head, like why people over thirty can go for longer than people who are, who are younger, that you know they're older and um, just the, the the development. Plus, plus if you if you uh, hopefully you've been in the sport for a while and you've got that that long term development as well. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly having knowing that it's not your first barbecue is actually really really helpful. You know that sense of you you sort of. And I guess like yourself with the coast-to-coast or multi-sport, every race is different and everything's different, but having a rough idea of what to expect is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I really enjoy sort of sharing what I know with other people. Um, Please, if if anyone listening wants, um, you know, to so any advice with, with, uh, I guess, some trail running, but... uh, I don't know that much anymore, but <laughs> multi-sport, um, you know, don't be shy to get in touch. Obviously, I got in touch with people when I was trying to get into it and pretty grateful for their advice, so I'd love to give back. Uh, I am doing some, some coaching now, but just a few people because yeah. it's it's something I can do. I can, I can coach because I, I do have the knowledge and I really enjoy working with people. So I um, – but I'm, I would happily, you know, if anyone emailed me, I'd happily reply with with some ideas on, on where to start with things if they oh, wanted to fantastic. do it brilliant you have people kind of... ready with their 1b5s all over the country <laughs> yeah yeah 
Definitely. And everyone starts sort of that way, doesn't it? Everyone approaches someone and goes, hey, you know, do you can you do this, be it, be it whatever, be it running, be it music, be it, yeah, fantastic. Hey, look, man, thank you so much for speaking with us. We're, we're, we'll get out of your hair. But before we go, we ask everyone one same question on Dirt Church Radio. And we're not going to break that tradition now. So, Sam Manson, what's been your greatest run ever? Oh, wow. (laughs) It doesn't have to be a race that you've won. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, that anyone would know about. But just that run that sung for you and really resonated. Probably, uh, it's it's, got to be one of my loops in, in Riverhead. In, in Riverhead Forest, uh, what, I can't I can't describe the trail names in that anymore. But it's basically when it's it would have been a day when it was raining and the mud was soft and and you can just hit some of those downhills so hard and it doesn't matter because it's just mud. And yeah, it would it would have been one of those days running in Riverhead. To be honest, I still um, you know. <laughs> cherish those memories uh, I, I was running some pretty incredible places but I still uh, had the most fun while I was while I was training around Riverhead Forest so <laughs> of, all, actually, of, of, all, of all places you know that, so no, that's, that's, that's it that's amazing I actually had my fists in the air then when you were talking about that because I you know I live here and I think it's one of the most incredible places to um, to, to, to live and run hey look man thank you so much what we'll do is if you send us through you know uh, a link will pop up a link to any coaching services or anything people can get in touch with you but until you know that time we'll bid you a fond farewell and good luck with your your racing coming up and thanks very much for talking to us no worries it's been fun guys uh, I'm sure I'll uh, I'll be listening to the rest you know your podcast all and um, you know hopefully I'll maybe meet up with you and we can go for a run really here when I'm up <laughs> that north. sounds good yeah cool <laughs> There we go, I've said it before and I've said it again, love me some Kiwi Battlers. Good old Kiwi Battler. And that Mo, make sure you have a look at the show notes. The Mo is dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And the rugby shorts. And the cotton singlet. Classic. Hey, thanks Sam, that was awesome. It was. Really enjoyed talking to you. And thank you, and thanks for sticking with us, and thanks for being there, and thanks for being you, and thanks for being amazing, and... Keep loving each other and keep kind of holding on to each other because at the end of the day, we're all we've got, really. That's right. And rugby. And you can and rugby and <laughs> and you can get at us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. We're on all the podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, FM Player, the Mighty Spotify. Um, we are at Dirt Church Radio on all the social media networks or our, or our radio station. Our website is www.dirtchurchradio.com. Dot com. Dot com. Mm. So uh, don't forget to write us, write to us with your greatest run ever. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Thanks, Some Sam, delicious. this week's guest. Um, thank you to our supporters, Ultra, Further Faster, and Sealy Athletics. Uh, we're thrilled to have you guys on board. And, you know, special love to Ultra and Further Faster from Christchurch. Mm. Keep on keeping on, dudes. And mm. thanks to our editor, the mighty KB, Kieran Bingham. Sorry that this actually was four hours of real time. Yeah. We've got another great guest lined up for next week, so tune in then. Kakite Ano. Kakite. Thanks, Rigby.